Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more. Good morning, SUFU members and guests. My name is Ariana Smith, and I'm joining you from the University of Pennsylvania. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Amy Rosenman to give her talk titled 30 Years of Experience with Hysteropexy. Dr. Rosenman is a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at UCLA, where she's participating in a truly combined gynecology and urology FPMRS fellowship program. She completed her medical degree at New York Medical College and her obstetrics and gynecology residency at UCLA. She's been the president of the AUGS Foundation since 2001 and is on the board of directors of AUGS. She has experience in reconstructive surgeries that preserve the uterus and has been performing vaginal and laparoscopic hysteropexies for the past 20 plus years with excellent long-term follow-up. Her original inspiration for hysteropexy surgery was a patient who refused hysterectomy and simply said, do the surgery the same way as if I was having a hysterectomy without the hysterectomy. Dr. Rosenman found the argument compelling and has continued to offer this option to her patients. Welcome, Dr. Rosenman. Thank you. My pleasure. Hi, I'm Amy Rosenman and I am delighted to be here today to discuss a topic that is near and dear to me, hysteropexy, my 20 year experience. I am at the UCLA Center for Women's Pelvic Health. I practice alongside Dr. Victor Nitti, the director uh, of our program, and it is a delight to work with him. I have no disclosures. We're gonna be talking about who needs pelvic organ prolapse surgery, why consider uterine preservation, what's the evidence of efficacy and durability, how is it done, should the uterus stay or should it go? Who needs surgery? Women with objective pelvic organ prolapse and enough bother to warrant surgery. If it doesn't bother her, I can't make her better, but I sure can make her worse with my surgery. This is a 28-year-old elite athlete with two prior vaginal surgeries for prolapse. She had surgery on her first day of life to remove a nine centimeter benign teratoma in front of her sacrum and to the right. You can note that there is significant atrophy on the right side and the pelvic floor was almost gone. So should it stay or should it go? Prolapse is the third most common indication for hysterectomy in the United States, accounting for 18% of the half million benign hysterectomies performed annually. In 1989, an early study of sacrospinous ligament suspension hysteropexy was done. And since then, techniques have been adapted from traditional hysterectomy and cuff suspension to the sacrum, to the sacrospinous ligaments, and to uterosacral ligaments. This is work uh, put together by Ridgway and Walter at the Cleveland Clinic. This is the true story of what got me started. My inspiration was Linda, a Hollywood comedy writer, a 49-year-old who presented with stage three pelvic organ prolapse in 1999 and told me, no hysterectomy. 
I explained the gold standard is vaginal hysterectomy, anterior and posterior repair, uterosacral ligament suspension. And she said, do it without the hysterectomy. She said, you're the sixth surgeon I'm asking. I explained I had not read, heard, or done it this way before. Linda said, let me be the first you do. Seems safe to me. And you seem like a conservative, well-meaning surgeon. I said, I don't experiment on my patients. Linda said, I will only consent to everything you are recommending except hysterectomy. And I understand there is no evidence and it may fail, but it will be better than no surgery at all. I couldn't argue with this and she was my first of many, more than 200 over the years, and it's still holding and going strong. So if we have a 49-year-old patient requesting surgery, what are the factors favoring uterine preservation? The surgery is less morbid, it's easier, it's faster. Patient request, it's a personal reasons, ethnic reasons, religious reasons. It can maintain fertility potential. It can maintain libido and body image in some women. And it increased, there's an increasing number of supporting studies, most of which are retrospective. So in the same patient, what would favor hysterectomy? The presence of uterine or cervical disease, postmenopausal bleeding, a desire for cancer prevention or removing the fear of cancer, informed patient request, less need for future hysterectomy, but this comes to about 5%, and more supporting evidence. It is the gold standard. Attitudes towards hysterectomy and women undergoing prolapse evaluation show that hysterectomy for prolapse is knowing that this is the current standard of care and that more than 100,000 hysterectomies are done in the United States for prolapse. Evidence suggests similar outcomes of hysteropexy as compared to hysterectomy with procedures success rates at 79 to 100%. Uterine preservation is associated with less surgical morbidity and it's unclear whether the addition of hysterectomy for prolapse is necessary for effective cure according to Frick and Barber in 2013. Nearly half of all women preferred uterine preservation if outcome was superior to hysterectomy. Women preferred uterine preservation 20% of the time, even if the outcome was inferior to hysterectomy. Let me repeat that. 20% of the time, even if the outcome was inferior, they still preferred uterine preservation. Geographic region is an independent predictor of preservation preference. The highest is in the West and the Northeast, the lowest is in the South. So uterine preserving prolapse surgery improve operating time, blood loss, and risk of mesh exposure compared with similar surgical routes with concomitant hysterectomy and don't significantly change short-term prolapse outcomes. Surgeons may offer uterine preservation as an option to appropriate women who desire this choice during epical prolapse repair. Again, the SGS Systematic Review Group, 2017. The uterine preserving procedures for hysteropexy are a sacrospinous approach, uterosacral ligament approach, Manchester Fothergill, or sacrohysteropexy with mesh. All of these are available vaginally or abdominally, laparoscopically or robotically. When we look at sacrospinous ligament suspension, we're looking at the sacrum, the spine, 
the ligament between and placing a suture and attaching that either to the vaginal cuff or the cervix. This can now be done with a capio and we can easily do this minimally invasively without making a big incision. When we compare the hysteropexy to the vaginal hysterectomy group, we find that there's less blood loss, <clears throat> that there's low, lower operating time, and no difference in hospital stay, prolapse outcomes, recurrence, or surgical satisfaction. Again, the systematic review group. When we look at sacrospinous hysteropexy compared to vaginal hysterectomy, we find we have faster recovery time, and the vaginal hysterectomy group was associated with a threefold increase for overactive bladder and urinary urge incontinence than the hysteropexy group, according to this study by Van Brummen and Van de Poel in 2013. Uterosacral hysteropexy compared to hysterectomy and uterosacral colpopexy. This was a study done by Ramanzi and Tiagi in 2012. And this is the technique. The sutures go through the uterosacral ligaments at the level of the ischial spine and then through the posterior cervix. This can either go through the vaginal cuff or not, depending on whether it's permanent suture. And when this is tied, the posterior cervix is brought up to the area of the uterosacral ligament at the level of the ischial spine. All apex durability was similar. Hysteropexy versus cuff suspension, similar. Cystocele, slightly less. Rectocele, similar. Uterosacral ligament hysteropexy done laparoscopically uh, compared to vaginal hysterectomy with uterosacral ligament colpopexy. This was the first comparative study no difference in prolapse outcome, and the D point was higher than C, favoring hysteropexy in this study done by Dewan and Rarden in 2006. Manchester Fothergill procedure. We have a dilation of the cervix, anterior and posterior colpotomy, isolation and ligation of the uterosacral cardinal complex, amputation of the cervix, suturing of the cardinal ligaments to the anterior of the cervix, reforming the covering of the cervix using vaginal flaps, colporophies, uterosacral cardinal complex, amputation of partial uh, part of the cervix, reattachment of the uterosacral cardinals anterior, and then reepithelialization, pulling up the uterus. Estimated blood loss, less. Risk of transfusion, less shorter operating time, and no significant difference in hospital stay or repeat surgery for pelvic organ prolapse. Again, the systematic review group. Sacrohysteropexy can be done with mesh while maintaining the uterus by placing the anterior leaf of mesh uh, under the bladder and taking it in two portions through broad ligament windows and then attaching it to the sacrum at the same time attaching the posterior leaf that goes to the rectovaginal septum. If we're worried about uterine pathology, premenopausal women with pelvic organ prolapse and normal bleeding patterns 
or negative endometrial biopsies have minimal risk of abnormal uterine pathology. Postmenopausal women without postmenopausal bleeding have a 2.6% risk of unanticipated pathology, but may be reduced by pre-op endometrial evaluation by ultrasound or biopsy. Postmenopausal women with a history of postmenopausal bleeding, even with negative evaluation, uterine preservation is not recommended because 13% of the time there is a pre or malignant findings. This according to the Frick, Larkin and Barber uh, article in the American Journal of OBGYN 2010. So in conclusion, uterine preservation is feasible. It results in decreased operating room time, decreased blood loss and recovery, possibly improved sexuality, possibly less lower urinary tract symptoms. Many options of methods exist. Patients should be aware of the future possibility of uterine or cervical pathology, possibility of pregnancy if fertile, limited but ever-growing evidence of durability and better understanding of complications. This is a video that we made at Harbor where we will show you the actual she has symptomatic stage three anterior stage two a process that and we stage use two posterior pelvic organ prolapse fellows and i made this, this technique involves entering the peritoneal cavity through a posterior copotomy in a uterine sparing technique or entering the vaginal cuff in a post hysterectomy patient we then pack the bowel away with a moist laparotomy sponge. Sometimes packing is not necessary as the uterine fundus can hold the bowel out of the surgical field. A right angle retractor and a Bryski retractor are used for visualization of the uterosacral ligament. An Alice Adair is placed at the level of the distal uterosacral ligament and is placed on tension in order to identify the uterosacral ligament. A long curved alice is placed on the uterosacral ligament at the level of the ischial spine. One delayed absorbable suture is placed through the uterosacral ligament at the level of the ischial spine. The second suture is permanent and is placed through the uterosacral ligament one centimeter above the ischial spine. The same procedure is performed on the contralateral side. Cystoscopy is performed after giving the patient 0.1 milliliters of sodium fluorescein IV to assure bilateral ureteral patency with and without tension on the uterosacral ligaments. If an anterior repair is indicated, it is performed prior to suspending the apex. The sutures are then attached to the intraperitoneal side of the posterior cervix. The sutures are then sequentially tied down suspending the apex. If a posterior repair is indicated, it is completed in the usual fashion after suspending the apex. At the conclusion of the procedure, the vaginal length is maintained and the apex is well supported. The vaginal approach to uterine sparing uterosacral ligament suspension provides a minimally invasive, effective, and novel method for pelvic organ prolapse repair in women who desire uterine preservation.
So when we ask, should the uterus stay or go? The answer is yes. Both answers are correct. I thank you for attending this presentation. It has been a sincere pleasure. Uh, Manchester is greatly reported in Europe and they have tremendous success with it. Actually, their statistics were even better than ours. Uh, I've done several of these. Um, sometimes my problem is finding adequate distal uterosacral material to uh, crisscross in front of the uterus. Um, but I think it's personal choice and what you're used to. Manchester is also very effective in a situation where a very elongated cervix is encountered, where you're really going to be left with a lot of cervix in the vagina, even if you get the posterior fornix D-point up high. Uh, you can still do a uterosacral copopexy and a partial amputation of the cervix, so you can take parts of different methods and mix them together. I've done it all. Amy, Amy, I think we might have lost uh, Ariana, so I'm happy to leave the discussion. First of all, that was awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming. Um, you. you can see there, there, this has generated a lot of questions, um, and, and there are a lot of good questions. I mean, one of the questions that, that Seth Cohen asked is, does this apply to anyone depending upon degree of prolapse? If, if the prolapse is more significant, higher stage, will you, will you move away from that or does it matter? Uh, according to the studies that I've reported here, it doesn't matter. In my personal experience, very large cystoceles aren't as amenable. We can get the posterior cervix up high, but we can't always get the anterior uh, fornix up high. And I have had my greatest failures are with very large cystoceles. So I will often recommend hysterectomy in those patients because then I can take the anterior cuff and get it up higher. Unless I want to consider putting mesh in. And then you Great. can get the cystocele up. But that's a more complicated procedure. So so clearly I should have I should have given you 10 minutes less time for your talk because there were so many questions. Um, and I know you're going to be responsible to do your best to talk to some of these and you can always respond to them on the chat. And maybe we'll get this back another meeting, but thank you so much. This was, I think this opened up a lot of our eyes for those of us that don't do a lot of hysteropexy. Um, so thank you. And I think we're gonna move on to- So the only the, one message that I would leave everyone yes, is that the please. reason to pursue this is that there are patients who won't have surgery if they think their only option is hysterectomy. And we see them, those of us who are willing to do non-hysterectomy procedures. So I think it's important for patients to know that they have options other than hysterectomy. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Sufu podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter with our handle at SufuOrg, where we'll provide real-time updates of our next podcast episode launch. And be sure to check us out on our website, www.sufuorg.com.